He's uploading the virus. Eagle One, the package is being delivered. Hi, I'm Jason Kebler, Editor-in-Chief of Motherboard, and this is Cyber, our podcast about hacking. This week, our guest is national security reporter Ben McCoo, who you might know as the normal host of this show. Ben and Vice Canada reporter Mac Lamoureux recently spent months embedded in a secret neo-Nazi social network called The Base. A horrifying scene in Charlottesville as this car plowed into a crowd of people, the driver then backing up and witnesses say dragging at least one person. In the last few years, there's been a lot of reporting about how the election of Donald Trump has emboldened the far right and violent groups online and in real life. But often we're talking about hateful memes or well-publicized rallies. The base, meanwhile, isn't focused on memes. As Ben explains, they're focused on meeting up and carrying out violent acts in the real world. So Ben, you've spent the last few months tracking a cell of neo-Nazis online. Tell me, what is the base? Okay, so the base. I, I found out about the base online because I've made a habit of being deep on these neo-Nazi militant Twitter circles. And uh, my reporting partner and I, Mac Lamoura, have been breaking a lot of stories surrounding Adam Waffen Division. We can get into what Adam Waffen Division is after. But essentially, people who could be neo-Nazi terrorists, we've kept an eye on them in much the same way that ISIS is active online on Twitter or was before a lot of the takedowns. We've been noticing that these groups behave much in the same way. These are American neo-Nazis. These American neo-Nazi groups. And also there's, you know, there's only so many white people in the world. So just imagine literally any country with native white people has a neo-Nazi aspect to it or neo-Nazi militant aspect to it. Places like Finland or Norway or England, France, Italy. And one individual in particular kept coming up in almost every circle we looked at. The guy's name was Norman Spear. And I don't know if that's his real name. We suspect it's an alias through some sourcing that we did. Uh, it's possible that it is his name. And he kept showing up in these circles. Bonafide Adam Waffen Division group members knew him, followed him. Uh, and he obviously came up on our radar because of it. And I kept an eye on him. And suddenly, I think sometime in, I want to say August or July, he started advertising this thing called The Base. And what it was, was a place, and he was advertising as a sort of survivalist self-defense network. But yet, all of the propaganda that he was putting out there was extremely militant. It was referencing stuff like when shit hits the fan, which is this apocalyptic thing that neo-Nazis like to refer to when, you know, society disintegrates and it turns into a race war. And it was stuff advocating for essentially guerrilla war. And this is a guy who also has put out videos on guerrilla warfare techniques and manuals. And he's claimed to be an ex-Iraq war, Afghan war veteran. And I started to think, what is this thing? Suddenly the Twitter account shows up. And then there's a WordPress account connected to it where you can go and you can apply to get inside of it. And that's when it really piqued my interest. And what did you find? Like, what is the base? So what the base is, we found, and this is after quite a few months of monitoring their Twitter accounts, monitoring the people involved with their Twitter accounts. And then also we gained access to their vetting process and then also their secret chat network. So it's kind of like a Discord, but it was on Riot Chat. In much the same way Adam Waffen Division had a Discord that was infiltrated by ProPublica. We kind of got into the base's riot chat and watched it and saw what was going on. Right, so you sort of described this as a paramilitary social network 
very small, very insular, but very dedicated to real world action. What did you find on the base? Because there's a lot of, you know, white supremacy, neo-Nazi forums, chat rooms out there, but this is different. This is totally different. So one of the goals of Norman Spear that he advocated for was he said the movement, essentially fascist white power movement around the world is way too much about Twitter trolls and online chatter and not enough about real world meetup and hangout and let's be together and go for our goal, which is white supremacy, possibly a white power state, you know, score settling with race traders, with different ethnic groups, uh, black Americans, Jewish Americans. So in order to achieve that, what the base was doing from our reporting was funneling these extremist far-right Twitter trolls, who also, some of them were very much affiliated with real groups, funneling them into the base via this website. And then once they got vetted and then were in the actual secure chat, they planned regionally meetups where they would go and learn things like paramilitary skills, bushcraft skills. And that was one thing we started to wonder was, you know, how much of this is real, that they're actually meeting up in person? Enter the photos of them meeting up in person and... You know, we found a library that they were sharing with stuff like chemical weapons production, bioweapons production, uh, weapons handling. Gunsmithing. Gunsmithing, we, explosives, bomb making. And then we started seeing some insane chatter, to be honest with you. Uh, stuff that was going beyond the realm of LARPing and into the space of, you know, even some online militant groups won't say some of the shit these guys were saying. Stuff like, you know, I really want to get together with some people and plan something for real. I'm paraphrasing. Some direct actions. Something with explosions. In reference to the Pittsburgh shooter. And they were also completely valorizing somebody who had gone up and shot up and killed multiple individuals, innocent people at a place of worship, for, you know, carrying out these attacks against Jews. Because, and this is the other thing too, I mean, it's no surprise, neo-Nazis, they have a real problem with people of Jewish faith. And the stuff they were saying about them running the country, et cetera, very much reminiscent of, of the individual that went to that synagogue and, and, and shot these people up. At least 11 people are dead and six more wounded after a man walked into a synagogue near downtown Pittsburgh with an assault rifle and three handguns and opened fire. And that's what really, for Mac and I, we thought to ourselves, this is really growing into something else. We need to run this story soon because we brought this to the Southern Poverty Law Center We said, look, we found this group. This is what they've been discussing. What are your thoughts? And essentially, they gave us a massive statement on how this is exactly how right-wing extremism, acts of terror are organized and learned and take place. Norman Spear didn't respond to a request for comment sent before Ben's article published. But after it went online, he sent the following. The base is a legal survivalist and self-defense network for sharing information on those topics and for organizing training sessions related to those topics. It is not engaged in paramilitary training, nor is the base a militia or paramilitary organization. You have taken lines from chat logs specifically out of context in order to fabricate a fictitious and deliberately sensational story that simply isn't true. Were they actually talking about specific, like, planned attacks online or what? You know, there's no incidents of violence that have been attributed, attributed. to the base yet, right? As of yet, no. I, I, I'm not aware of it. Did they have connections to Adam Waffen Division? 
are there alleged members of Adam Waffen Division within it? Adam Waffen Division being a neo-Nazi terror group within the United States that the FBI is very much all over? Yes. Do they have connections to killings and racially motivated violence? Yes. Uh, did these people talk about direct actions against people they didn't like, i.e. races of people they didn't like? Absolutely. Now, have they carried anything out yet? We don't know. And that's actually the thing that's really scary about this. And that's what a lot of uh, extremist onlookers and critics will will say, is that this kind of place where you're given access to a lot of these tools or these manuals or these discussions where things are ratcheted up and people can possibly meet regionally, which we know that they were doing, that's where some of these lone wolf attacks get carried out. That's where stuff happens. And, and that's the really scary part because all it takes is a couple of these people. And the fact it's so sequestered and so funneled down into this group of real true believers, you have almost a maximization of potential harm that could happen when you're discussing these kinds of things. Right. And there's discussion on uh, the base about, you know, in real life meetups to plan specific attacks, right? No, they would say, let's meet up and let's train. Let's train for the future and learn skills together. Right. And meanwhile, they trade stuff like, I remember one tweet that Norman Spear did was how to cover up a sniper killing. So if you kill someone with a sniper rifle in public, how to make sure you wipe any evidence of your gun being involved in that attack. Meanwhile, there's also tweets from the base about counter-surveillance measures against drones, against being followed by federal authorities. I mean, this is sort of the stuff that they were, they were, they were trading in, which, you know, it doesn't take a, a, a rocket scientist or a PhD in extremism to know that this is, this is very much to do with terrorism. Right. So uh, sort of in the lead-up to the 2016 election and, and after that, uh, there were a lot of articles about Trump's troll army and white supremacist memes and anti-Semitic memes that were sort of going viral. And I did a lot of reporting at that time just about you know how these memes are made and how they're spread and that sort of thing. And they're amplified by the media and that sort of thing. Um, you spoke to experts in this space who said that the memes that are made by the base, which there are memes and they're you know much more vile than the sort of things that you've probably seen on Twitter. They're very specific. You mentioned sort of the Pittsburgh shooter. There's a lot of memes about that guy, or they talk about wanting to make memes, uh, you know, valorizing him. Mm-hmm. Um, the experts you spoke to said that these memes don't need to go viral in order for there to be like real world impacts. Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. And this goes back to even sort of the trading of information and manuals, right? What it is, is you're in this echo chamber, but it's an extremist echo chamber. It's gathered people who really are true believers. And when you create things in that space, when you know your audience better than anyone else, there's this opportunity to make someone extremely angry, extremely galvanized to do something. So, you know, I mean, I, I did a lot of work on that as well on the alt-right and some of the, the memes they were putting out around Pepe. And memes are maybe the most powerful visual tool from an actual neurological standpoint I mean, this is something the CIA is interested in, something NATO is interested in, something MIT is interested in. And when you have a specific group dealing with one another and knowing exactly what they want to read, when you read that, you can be a potential lone wolf, especially when you're also, on on the other hand, provided with manuals (laughs) describing how to create bombs. Right. This is not to suggest that, like, the memes are the thing that push people over the edge. We can't know that for sure. But... 
you are taking a group that has already shown that they are radicalized and you're amplifying it because these people have been vetted and they're sort of talking to sort of the most extreme aspects of, of this ideology, right? Absolutely. I mean, that's exactly how it works. And, it, you know, I started getting to uh, terrorism reporting originally when I was inside of very similar chat groups, very similar online activities of ISIS and Al-Qaeda. You know, and it looks the exact same. That's one thing that's really shocked me about this space is that it's all very reminiscent of that. You know, I spoke to a lot of those, those individuals who were in groups like ISIS and Al-Qaeda, and they behave and speak exactly like the individuals in this one. Obviously, the ideologies are quite different, but the means of using secret chat networks or using the apps that nobody are using to organize and to galvanize and to radicalize your movement. I mean, this is tried, tested, and true by some of the most prolific jihadist groups in the world. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Yeah, I know that uh, some of your early reporting at Motherboard was about uh, sort of Western freedom fighters or whatever you want to call them who went and joined ISIS. Uh, I'm curious, you mentioned that the makeup is very similar just in terms of the chat networks and the types of things that they're sharing. Do you think that they are learning from each other or is this something that's just so native to like online culture and organizing at this point that, you know, if you want to have like a clandestine organization, this is the type of way that you do it? I think they absolutely learned from one another or the base learned from this you know, 2013, 2014 movement of ISIS where they used Twitter, they used, you know, chat.fm, Instagram, et cetera, to organize and to galvanize a, a group of people. I think they learned that. In fact, the base is called the base. I know that they're aware that the base means Al-Qaeda in Arabic. So I th- and that to me is, is obviously a tongue-in-cheek way of looking at themselves as a terrorist group. I mean, that's not completely confirmed. I don't know why they call themselves that, but... Clearly, there's some inference going on there. Right, right. Uh, I mean, absolutely, they've learned from them. I think it also attracts quite honestly the same demographics of young men who are online, who are to some degree or another tech savvy, who uh, are looking for a cause, who are angry, and who also are pretty good at Twitter. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So you mentioned the Southern Poverty Law Center, which is this nonprofit group that tracks hate online, in real life, I think mostly in the United States, but yeah. possibly worldwide. Um, I'm curious, you know, what did they have to say about this? And also, you know, is the U.S. government aware of this happening? Like, is anything being done to stop it? Is it proliferating? Well, uh, I'll answer the, that last question first. Yeah. Every single chat platform and online application, period, that the base was on has booted them off, including Gab, which I thought was pretty shocking. It was almost as if uh, the base was too extreme for Gab, which is a wild one. Right, and Gab is this very like right-wing offshoot of Twitter. Yeah, that, I call it yeah. neo-Nazi Twitter. Yeah. And I know that they don't describe themselves that way, but I don't really care because they're into free speech, and I'm going to freely say 
I think it's neo-Nazi Twitter. Um, so they're all off that. I think it's blown up. That said, you know, I'm tracking where it's going next, and we'll see. Are the authorities aware of the base? I can't say for sure, but I've certainly gathered information that would suggest that the FBI is aware of what the base is uh, and is aware of its connections to Adam Waffen Division. We mentioned earlier the Southern Poverty right. Law Center, which is this group, nonprofit group that tracks hate in the U.S. and I think worldwide. Um, what do they think about this and you know, how can we fight it, I guess? So they actually told us that, oh yeah, we're aware of them as well, uh, Norman Spear, who is the founder of the base, and we're also aware of the base. And they said, after that, it's tough to know exactly what they're doing. But they were, they were an incredible resource in terms of how they saw the base and what the cultural references were, were, what the historical references were that the base were using and how dangerous that was. They were you know, very much playing with things like uh, that Timothy McVeigh was inspired with. You know, and this is the Oklahoma City bomber killed 100-something people on his own. He, knew, he was also uh, a veteran of the Desert Storm operation in 1990. And we also knew that there were members of the base who were saying, I was a veteran and I served. And one of them even said, I know what it's like to kill women and children uh, in Afghanistan. So the Southern Poverty Law Center was extremely aware of the base and was tracking it. And that to us... You know, this is a, an organization that is all over the far-right space. And it's gained criticism for that. But that said... The fact that they knew what the it was and The fact that they knew what it was, it. It was and was tracking it to us was sort of this moment of, oh, okay, so this is a real thing, you know? And, and as I said, I kept seeing, since February 2018, I kept seeing Norman Spear everywhere right. with these accounts. Yeah, I mean, we've talked a lot on Motherboard just about the role that platforms play in sort of amplifying and helping people to join these sort of like far extremist movements. And it's crazy that Twitter was allowing this to happen for so long. Like you were tracking them for months and you mentioned the article that they didn't take down the base's uh, Twitter account until after you asked them about it. So, I mean, do you think that Twitter has any handle or any idea how its platform is being used in this way or are they just ignoring it or are these people using code words to like talk about this sort of thing or is it happening in the open i am pretty shocked that it stayed on twitter for as long as it did uh because some of the stuff was pretty insane i I think there's no way that twitter didn't know about it the only thing that i would suggest is that twitter kept it open because the fbi wanted them to keep it open so the fbi could watch it and see who's involved with it because as a terrorism reporter, these accounts, before I find them, and then when I find them, are incredibly useful. It begins the mapping of who's who. Right, right. We've talked a few times about the parallels between the base and ISIS and Al-Qaeda and how they sort of uh, like mirror each other a little bit. And I know that in 2013, 2014... ISIS was doing a lot of like propaganda videos, a lot of, I mean, they posted beheadings on Twitter and YouTube. I know that Adam Waffen Division has also produced a lot of videos as well. I mean, are there, is there video, is there propaganda coming out of this or is it something that's still largely relegated to chat rooms? No video, but definitely a lot of uh, photo propaganda was coming out of the base. Stuff that was actually done by somebody who is decent with graphic design who knows how to use Photoshop in a way that's not 
you know, simplistic, like, like if it were me making it. But absolutely. And there were also, that was one of the moments that we thought was, was interesting for us as we were watching this chat room. There were pictures of meetups. And then the next day, come back out. And it's one of the propaganda photos. Right. Stylized, embossed. Stylized, embossed. Terror wave is what they call it. It's the style. Terror wave. Um, and, you know, it's, it's interesting. Like, like Adam Waffen Division, they have, I mean, at least they have people that are, who know how to use these pieces of software. They have graphic designers that know what they're doing. And they play with all of the motifs and the imagery that ISIS obviously would play with theirs. They have a, they have a book club where they read Siege. And Siege being this um, neo-Nazi, apocalyptic, incredibly vile piece of writing about a really vicious race war slash guerrilla war carried out by neo-Nazis, by James Mason. That is the Bible of Adam Waffen Division. Right. So you did this giant investigation, uh, you know, very good piece of journalism, sort of monitoring what the base is, what is the next step for you as a reporter? Like, what happens now? I mean, they've been kicked off some of these platforms, but they clearly still exist. It's definitely to be continued. Um, there's a lot of information out there uh, that we're gathering. Uh, I would also say that both Mac and I have eyes on this entire movement, and we're, we're looking at it very closely. And I think, you know, you mentioned the 2016 presidential election, and I think this is something that's really obvious to a lot of people, but I can honestly tell you this is a real thing. The election of Donald Trump, while some of these people openly that we observed did not like him, it has galvanized this entire movement in a huge way because now you see the mainstreaming of some of the same opinions that these guys will hold, except, albeit they're not as extreme. But a little sanitized. A little sanitized, right? Stuff like the border, you know, the caravan. This is something that the base people realized was kind of bullshit, but also they hate immigrants and they hate people from South America and Central America coming to the country, you know? But the other thing we have to remember as well is that these groups that have been galvanized by Trump also consider the government the ultimate, ultimate enemy. As neo-Nazi movements and far-right movements evolve, when they evolve to the government is the enemy, and it is a moment, the SPLC's kind of said this, when that happens, that's when violence takes place. It's when real things happen. And, you know, for us, we've got eyes on, on this, and we're going to continue reporting on it. Yeah. So we mentioned that there is all this literature about how to make guns, how to make chemical weapons and bombs, but they also talk about reusing, you know, military-grade bombs and weapons from World War II. Yeah, well, and this shows that the base really wanted to be, you know, it wanted to corral all neo-Nazi movements and white power movements, militant white power movements, into one group where everybody could sort of be outside of each other and not have to engage with one another's opinions, but also unite in the one fact that let's make this world more white and more militant and let's go to war with society. And part of that meant that they had followers in Europe and... There were a few members who were discussing how you could dig up World War II munitions in Germany, specifically, and create IEDs with them, IED-style bombs, and how they should pass this information off to some of the people they know that are in the base who are in Europe, or their European brothers, I think was, was the actual terminology they used. Uh, I'm paraphrasing. 
which is a wildly insane concept because people actually die every year from World War II munitions in Germany. This stuff is still active because we dropped so much on them. And right, this stuff just goes off. Stuff just goes off like in a farmer's field, you know? So that was pretty wild when we read that because that's also something that, you know, I know Taliban has done, digging up old Soviet munitions and strapping them to barrels, putting nails and screws inside of them, and then convoy, U.S. convoy hits a boom. Mass destruction. So, yeah, I mean, this is the kind of stuff I was engaging with <laughs> for the last three months. And also stuff like, you know, we left a lot of things out that are, you know, kind of typical of white power websites. But, you know, stuff like they discussed killing black babies and eating them. And, you know, it was a joke. But, like, you know, after a while, this stuff gets to you. You're reading it and you're just like, this is so hateful. What is going on in the world? So, yeah, like, shout out to my... Uh, <laughs> Shout out to my girlfriend and her cat Chomsky for keeping me company at night. Yeah, that's as I, as so I, upsetting. As I sh- shook in, in disgust. Yeah, that, that's so, it's very upsetting. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, I'm, I think there's a lot of reporters like this who, who engage in this kind of re- reporting where you're reading this stuff constantly. And, you know, I, I'm sure Joseph's had this and Lorenzo, and you're just reading stuff that's just, painfully hateful. Well, it's something that I've talked about a lot with academics who say, you know, you have to be careful that you don't, like that you take your own mental health into consideration when you're reporting on this sort of thing. And that a lot of people go into this thinking it's a joke and suddenly like they're radicalized. And I'm not saying that happens to reporters, but I'm saying it's very bad for your like mental health to be reading this sort of stuff all the time. And you just need to be careful and Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think it's like you go into it thinking you're reporting on this and it's, you know, we all had this, I mean, a lot of people anyways that I work with, including sure Lorenzo and Joseph, who you go into it being like, wow, I really want to do cool stories, break news, go after neo-Nazi terror groups, blah, 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 ISIS, whatever. And then you start doing it and it starts to break your heart because you get a really grim view of just how hateful people are towards one another. And when I was in the belly of the beast in the base, it was like that. It was, you know, it's, it's a deeply upsetting thing to, to read constantly. Do you know that there's people out there taking their days to talk about digging up World War II munitions to murder minorities with? Like, this is wildly insane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's a really good piece. Um, I think it's important to sort of shine a light on some of this stuff. So thank you for doing it. And I know that you're going to keep reporting on them. So I guess we'll see what happens next. Um, (laughs) Sort of wish that this was the end of the story, but it probably isn't. Probably isn't. And also, might I add, you did an excellent job hosting this week of Cyber. Thank you. (laughs) You'll be back next week. I'll be back next week. This week's episode was produced by me, Jason Kebler, and recorded by Mitch Rackin. It was edited by Dean White. Thanks for listening to Cyber. We'll be back next week. In the meantime, please tell your friends about us and consider giving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. 
visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.